Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat. On this episode, I wake up in my apartment to discover that Sam has injected me with a deadly toxin that inhibits the flow of adrenaline around my body. This will cause my heart rate to slow and eventually kill me. In order to survive, I must keep my adrenaline flowing by any means possible. I resort to taking drugs, getting into fights, and eventually electrocuting myself, all the while hunting Sam down in order to get my revenge. Oh, uh, hang on, that's, uh, that's Crank. Yeah, what you just heard was just a brief synopsis of the 2006 Jason Statham film Crank. Uh, this is just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is the angry Mexican drug lord, Sam Foster. Hello. This one's for all you artists out there and the people who have to deal with your midlife crises. Danny snaps to attention for Listen Up, Philip, in which Jason Schwartzman plays a moody novelist pottering around a country house. And I gather myself for Clouds of Sils Maria, in which Juliette Benoche plays a grumpy actress trundling around an alpine villa. Plus, movie stars join tribute bands, someone pays James Cameron to pretend to have seen Terminator Genesis, and Netflix brings together one of the most overblown directors of all time and an actor who has said his goal is to be one of the most craziest of all time. Finally, in a section Katie tells me is unlikely to be cut from the final podcast, I list every single thing I know about Ian McKellen, starting with the fact that his hair is grey. So correspondences. Do we have any? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Good. I Chris sent a message to me and Danny. It wasn't strictly speaking film chat correspondence, but um, that's the spirit in which we're taking it. He writes, big news, colon. Michael Shannon is in a Smiths cover band. Wow. Did you listen to Michael Shannon and Friends cover The Queen is Dead? Yes, oh, I wait. did. Hang on. The Queen is Dead is the name of the band. I didn't look into this that much. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's Michael Shannon and his friends 
in a band called The Queen Is Dead, which is a Smiths cover band. How were they? Were they any good? Um, How's yeah. Shannon's Morrissey? Uh, it's okay. He doesn't really, like, do Morrissey, you know? He's not sort of holding the bouquet of flowers. He just sort of sings it. Yeah. But, yeah, it's pretty passable singing he's not. He's not doing that. No. No. Well, that's the wrong song, because that's... Um, <laughs> he's not, he's not singing this charming man. <laughs> singing The Queen Is Dead. Um, does, he, does he drop in any sort of... Uh, Surprising references to Zod or <laughs> or mention his role in Boardwalk Empire at all? Um, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> it's bizarre, really. He just sings about himself, but the Jesus of Smith songs. Himself and his career. Yeah. Yeah, some of his favourite roles. Of, uh, oh, God, I don't know his filmography well enough to like make a pun. <laughs> yeah, have you seen that movie... Uh, <laughs> He sings uh, 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 "Shelter." Yeah, taking one? shelter, taking shelter to the theme of um, yeah. barbarism begins at home. <laughs> <laughs> With a film like that, taking really... shelter. Oh, I can't sing a Smith's melody. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but it's still... Anyway, thanks for that, Chris. <laughs> thanks for that. He goes on. Which actors would you like to see fronting which cover bands? Good question. That's the sort of question which should spur us to come up with some really brilliant, funny. <laughs> actor band combos and uh it it did it did <laughs> danny um, what have you what have you uh thought so of? i want to see christopher walken in a talking heads cover band called the walken heads yeah that's excellent i want to see al pacino in a paul simon cover band where he just it's just called call me out <laughs> where they only play <laughs> that's that good yeah that's really good i like that and um I wasn't harrison ford to be in a mumford and sons tribute band just called harrison ford and sons <laughs> Because it's like Mumford. Yeah. Um, I would like to see Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> forming a Jay Z tribute band called Bonham Magna Carter. Because he had that had that album called Magna Carter. And his name is Sean Carter, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You bet it is. And I also want to see Richard Linklater <laughs> forming a Meatloaf tribute band called Meatloaf and Orson Bat Out of Wells. <laughs> Because yeah, that movie, me and Orson Wells. What do you think? <laughs> that's sort of so laboured. Is that a bad bad you go to see? Yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I think they'd be a smash. They'd yeah, play I that one Meatloaf song that I know. Bad out of hell. Yeah. I what don't. about I can do? Uh, what's it? I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Oh yeah, I, I find that song that hilarious. Yeah. What is she asking Meatloaf to do? Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. That was fun. Moving on. Moving on. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print So, um, Jaden Smith The world's favourite man Yeah He's the Everyone... son the son of the world's favourite man So, even better? Even better Son of fave Um... <laughs> He's the, but he's the son of Will Smith. I think we should make that. He's the son. Of... Smith's got a common surname, so yeah, well, he was the little kid that. from the Pursuit of Happiness. And he's he was the little the kid, slightly bigger kid, after the Karate kid. Yeah, own the Karate Kid. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's had a sort of uh, up and down relationship with feature films because After F was panned, and uh, yeah, he's already had a no checkered money. film career. And he's only sixteen. Anyway, his latest project, he's uh, just signed on to be in Baz Luhrmann and Sean Ryan's. Musical Netflix extravaganza, The Get Down. The uh, Get Down. The Get Down. Uh, Sean Ryan is the showrunner of The Shield, 
and mm. the unit. So I guess he's handling the drama aspect of the TV show, and Baz Luhrmann is handling the uh, glitter aspect. So whenever the characters have a fight, Sean Ryan comes in to tell yeah. them what to do, and then when they burst into song, Baz is on the scene. Baz is on the scene, directing and applying sun lotion if it's uh, yeah. a hot day. Um, so <laughs> that's a reference to his song. <laughs> Remember that song you did? It's okay to wear sun lotion. What Baz Luhrmann? Yeah. No. Someone. Katie knows. Katie remembers. I wasn't just saying like he's some sort of pervert. You know, it's Australian. I was like, he's really concerned. Oh, was it like a sort of um, uh, public awareness? Yeah, but it was like a number one song. How did it go? It's like literally just him talking to like a beat. Like it's okay to. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Confident start, baby. Katie, just put a bit of that song in here. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97. Wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the there you power go. Oh, so that, that's how it goes. It's funny to us right now, listeners, because I obviously didn't hear it. But I'll look it up later. <laughs> anyway, uh, The Get Down. Do you want to know what it's about? Yeah. The show is set in a grungy, gritty 1970s New York, a much tougher place to live than the law-abiding city is today. In the South Bronx, the crew of teenagers have no one else to turn to, find shelter and solace in each other as they express their own musical abilities at a time when hip-hop, punk and disco are kicking off and pulsing through the culture. Smith will be Marcus Dizzy Kipling, an exceedingly good South <laughs> Bronx graffiti artist. And cupcake maker. <laughs> cupcake maker. Lerman has said, as we as an audience have known Jaden since he was very young. Recently, he's been seeking out diverse and challenging roles, and this is a testament to his passion to grow in the craft. I mean, Get out of here, you stupid teens. <laughs> what are you doing? It's the 70s. It's, it's grimy. It's dirty. Go away. Find solace in each other's arms. What is that your Baz Luhrmann impression? No, that's like uh, one of the scenes. It's like the opening scene. You know, it's New York. Get out of here, you dumb Get kids. Get out of here, you kids. Stop Go. spraying shit on my walls. Find solace, you dumb kids. Disco's kicking off. Why don't you go to a club? That's probably how it's going to be, right? You should write this. Yeah. I should just improvise. I should be in it, improvising all my lines. Yes. First yeah. Episodes. Or Baz-provising, as, uh, <laughs> as Baz says when he encourages actors to do I'm that. Baz-provising right now. <laughs> I'm just going to badge revise. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be 13 episodes long. They're ready to shoot, and Lerm is directing the first two and the season finale, and it will appear on Netflix in all territories next year. Right. Netflix are just snapping up all the major projects. Yeah. Get ready to get down. That's probably down. how the trailer will go. I mean, I like the idea of the setting. That's a cool place in history. Yeah. Interesting. It sounds cool. Scene. I just, uh, how much faith do I have in the creative team? Yeah, it I mean, does sound like it was Baz Luhrmann's idea, and he was like, "But what do I know about grit and grime?" And then, be, you know, and then he just turned on the TV and found the first crime show, and was like, "Yeah, I mean that guy." Yeah, yeah. I have very little faith in that man. I like Romeo plus Juliet, but since then, his Great Gatsby was really shit. Yeah, shit Gatsby, and uh, I don't know. A lot of people love Moulin Rouge, but it just kind of gives me a headache. It makes me want to lie down with a cold cloth on my head. You know, it's exhausting. It's like a two-hour. <laughs> Like camp music video. I think the best uh, review of Baz Luhrmann was like Kim Newman said, if Michael Bay was gay, he'd make Baz Luhrmann films. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's quite good. 
yeah. uh, which is quite accurate. Anyway, Jaden Smith is a uh, very entertaining figure. It's probably cruel to mock him too much because he's um, you know, very young. He's still developing as a person, and he's also the child of one of the world's most famous uh, successful men, so that's going to fuck you up. Um, <laughs> and but at the same time, <laughs> it is hard not to laugh at him a little bit because uh, he is pretty funny. He did an interview with his sister Willow, and he's named for that song, uh, Whip Whip It, Whip My Hair. I whip my hair back and forth. I whip my hair back yeah, and forth. All the kids love that one. Um, not me. I'm sort of old and grumpy. I like to rock the mic. I like to rock the mic. Uh, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, the two of them did a joint interview with the New York Times in which they came out with all sorts of um, fantastic nonsense. They sound like they're in a cult. For example, question, what have you been reading? Willow, quantum physics, Osho. She's 14 years old. <laughs> Jaden. Do, do you know what she is? She's the fucking girl Will Smith kills in the training uh, sequence oh, in Men in Black. Oh, yeah. Well, like, he's like... The suspicious one. Yeah. Or he's like, like, he's not <laughs> sneezing, he's snarling. And then he yeah. kills the girl. She's like, she's reading books way too advanced for her age. It's yeah. like creepy with that girl. You're right. Yeah, he's, it is something like quantum physics, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And now he's given birth to the daughter he she's killed. She's actually doing it. Wow. So if he encountered her in a training exercise, he'd just blow her away. <laughs> Jaden is reading The Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life and Ancient Texts, Things That Can't Be Predated. <laughs> He's reading undatably ancient texts. That's, that's what's on his reading list. What does read is mean like look at? Um, probably the best bit is when the interviewer asks Jaden, what's next? Jaden says, I have a goal to just be the most craziest person of all time. And when I say craziest, I mean like I want to do like Olympic level things. I want to be the most durable person on the planet. Durable is a very unlikely <laughs> adjective to describe your ultimate goal, isn't well, it? Well, what's crazier than signing on for a 13-part Baz Luhrmann Netflix series? Well, you've got to be pretty durable. It's going to be a hard shoot. He's got, yeah, got to sing. He's got a graffiti. It's got to, he's it's yeah. going to be very hot out there. He's got to deal with uh, New York, the 1970s, a very dangerous place. Yeah. He will have to be the most durable person on the planet, probably, to get through that. So congratulations on congratulations continuing down the path for that ambition, Jay. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And good luck. So Amazon is continuing its battle with Netflix to produce exciting new content. And having previously signed Woody Allen to uh, make a TV series with them, they have now signed another famous film director, Terry Gilliam, which means they will be part funding as well as distributing The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, which is an exceedingly long gestating project for Terry. Um, so long they made a whole documentary about his attempts to make it. Yeah, there's a great documentary called Lost in La Mancha about his first failed attempt to make it when Johnny Depp is all young and cool in it. Yeah, and, and like the whole set like got flooded and like yeah, destroyed. Yeah, it's real like biblical like, acts of God like stuff in his way. Yeah, yeah, he's he tried to sort of mount it various times and um, but it seems to have been gathering a bit of pace now. Like, yeah, it's actually going to happen. But even even saying that seems like you're uh, tempting the fates. Yeah, I mean I hope it's good after 
after such a long time. <laughs> and also given that Terry Gilliam hasn't produced something that was really acclaimed in a while. I haven't seen some of his recent projects. I don't know if that was like... Did you see the Zero Theorem or... No, I thought the imaginary Dr. Parnassus was uh, a bit underwhelming. Yeah, but he was making that under quite difficult circumstances, right? Yeah, but even like the first half isn't that good. Well, even when uh, Heath Ledger <laughs> was still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um... If it all goes according to plan, the movie will shoot in early 2016 with Jack O'Connell and John Hurt as the two leads. So, um, the, the Jack world's O'Connell youngest man and Don- the world's oldest man. So, Jack's will be playing Don Quixote and uh, John Hurt's playing Sancho Panza. Sancho right? Panza, yeah. I guess so. They're both very entertaining screen presences. That sounds like it'll be fun. I'm sure they'll play off each other quite well. Uh, the old man, John Hurt. I'm pretty sure those windmills are giants. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Stupid old man. Stupid old man. Um, it's not a great Jack O'Connell impression, but a yeah. brilliant John Hurt impression. According to Gilliam, Amazon's approach will be a theatrical window and release, followed by a streaming Amazon debut at home. It's quite a coup for Amazon. It seems like they're pursuing people who, like Woody Allen and um, Terry Gilliam, they've also recently said they were going to do something with Jim Jarmusch as well. Oh, right. And all directors who, you know, have a real creative stamp and uh, really offer their films. Yeah, and aren't so, always given huge amounts of funding. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. And also, I think it's good that a company as big as Amazon are funding it because then it, like, it will definitely get made. Yeah. I kind of feel like you need a bit of sort of corporate... Well, you mean it's not going to be some kind project. of uh, independent that will yeah, collapse. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need you know, a sort of sturdy studio or you know, a bit of money behind it to see it through to the end. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, I, I think I think it's cool. I mean, they're they're obviously a huge corporate um, behemoth, crushing the life out of independent booksellers and everything like that. But um, at least they're using their behemoth weight to <laughs> do something that sounds semi-interesting. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astoundingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, once again, watching some old hell's bullshit of a film chat. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not totally. It's got Jason Schwartzman in it. He's uh... No, no, no. Um, it's actually very good. Yeah. It's some, it's some great art house bullshit. So this, this is great uh, bullshit this time. This is Listen Up, Philip. It is written and directed by Alex Ross Perry, who you keen film chat listeners will recognise as the man we discussed many episodes ago. I forget when, but uh, he is attached to the Winnie the Pooh live action upcoming Disney film. On the basis of this film, do you think that that choice is obvious? <laughs> it's, the basis of this, I feel like somebody's son is like in charge of making these decisions and like they know they haven't watched any of his previous films. And like, yeah. Is it not set in a wood that's a hundred acres in size or anything like that? No. Okay. <laughs> um, so the plot is anger rages in Philip. Jason Schwartzman, as he awaits the publication of his second novel. He feels pushed out of his adopted home city by the constant crowds and noise, the deteriorating relationship with his photographer girlfriend Ashley, played by Elizabeth Moss, and his own indifference to promoting the novel. When Philip's idol, Ike Zimmerman, played by Jonathan Price, offers his isolated summer home as a refuge, he finally gets the peace and quiet to focus on his favourite subject. Himself. Himself. What a narcissist. Yes, this movie is really good. Okay. I thought it was excellent. I liked all of it. <laughs> so what I liked about the film, it's a very literary film, both in its subject matter and in the way it's put together. Because it's about authors and the creative process. Isn't he supposed to be some kind of Philip Roth type 
Yes, I don't. I've never read any Philip Roth, so all this Philip Rothisms was lost on me. Yeah, but apparently he's sort of loosely modelled on the Philip Roth Roth persona, whatever that is. Whatever that is, narcissistic, yeah. arrogant man. Uh, I, I presume from this film. So there's some really interesting things about the way it's been structured, and it sort of mimics a novel in the sort of devices it uses, particularly in the way it sort of covers time and the way it switches between characters' perspectives. The way it's shot, it's shot with like sort of handheld 16mm cameras. It basically looks like it's quite like a 70s documentary or something. It's got this very sort of vintage aesthetic. Oh, cool. It's a bit hipstery in that regard, I guess. Sort of, It's got a longing for a bygone time sort of yeah. uh, aesthetic to it. And there's a narration throughout the whole thing, which sort of powers the narrative along. I think narration often in movies is a bit of a sort of like the writer can be asked to... Yeah figure out what comes next so they, sort of I remember I had that feeling in Match Point the Woody Allen film yeah which has this kind of chirpy American narrator throughout the whole film for no really discernible reason <laughs> like the film would have been the same without him yeah but is it is it an effective device in this well what's good about it is he's the kind of person who would narrate himself and oh, the sort of key to the character is that he's so self-aware he's miserable because he knows all his own failings is completely content in them and he just he's already aware of that he's in this pattern of misery which he, he won't Wallows be able to break in. yeah the narration device puts everything he does in context and so uh, it kind of undercuts his arrogance in a way because he's just like he's just one guy in a crowd I see yeah sort of constant uh, theme of the movie uh, but what really makes the films are the performances are, are like amazing Elizabeth Moss is I believe I've seen her in Mad Men and uh, that Top of the Lake thing, but I just think she's like amazing. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's, she's so incredibly good. good in Mad Men. She's a great screen presence, and her role is really good because I think what's um, good about this film is that it shows two sides of the sort of creative guy's life. What's good about it, it kind of shows his perspective, but Elizabeth Moss has a lot to do in it, and she's not just like the sort of collateral damage of him, just like, oh, yeah. she's not just the doormat girlfriend. There's this great sequence where it just follows her for about 15 minutes after he's, like, pissed off somewhere. And it's like, oh, you don't see that in every movie. Yeah, definitely. And there's, like, touches like that that really make the movie come alive and stop it from just being... It's like, with the movie, you know, who wants to see another film about a creative man uh, who's got some trivial problems and he's just an arsehole to people? And it's almost like the film just sets itself the challenge of making that good and succeeds and one of the way it does it is through these um, supporting characters and she's the main one and Jason Schwartzman he's, uh, he's just fantastic in this film it's on one hand his character's fully in his wheelhouse he's like it's a bit like if Rushmore never learned the errors of his ways yeah. grew up and moved to New York. And he plays a kind of arrogant, dismissive prick in um, Funny People as well. Yeah, he's, he's very done, he's good done before, arrogant, yeah. dismissive prick. But I think to just say it's, you know, something he can just do is sort of uh, underselling how good he is in it. And, um, yeah, I was trying to figure out why he's so good at those characters. I think it's because he just looks like this sort of sweet puppy dog of a man. And so he's got, like, I don't know, he's got a curious uh, charisma to him. Yeah. Kind of pull off, he makes compelling jerks work on screen. Yeah, he's got a kind of smarmy, uh, soft voice, which is good for being patronizing and condescending, I think. Yeah. And sort of the testament to his performance is that the movie gives you every reason to sort of dislike him and he sort of brings a vein of humanity to him. And there's like a sort of tragicness to his character because he sort of, he knows how much of a dick he is. Yeah. And um, Jonathan Price is also brilliant. 
he's uh, really sort of relishing this role. Jonathan Price is great on our screens right now in Game of Thrones. Yeah, killing it as the High Sparrow. He's, or whatever. He's great. He's, they're basically playing like older and younger versions of the same literary persona. And uh, the scenes where they're just bouncing off each other and sort of validating each other's dickishness are really great. Is he uh, English in it? No, he does a very convincing American accent. He's just cool. like he's just like an old drunk, you know, who thinks yeah, he's yeah. Hemingway, but he's not as good. Sort of right. There's, there's movies kind of polarize people. Some people love it. Some people just can't stand everyone in it. And it's basically, you know, does a character have to be likable to be compelling? And you know, is there enough going on to? just get past the fact these characters aren't very nice yeah and i think there is like if thing is like if you were trapped in a lift with jason swashman's character you like lose your mind but the film is cleverly plotted enough that he's always doing different stuff and one of the good things about the jonathan price character suddenly becomes like the second most annoying person in the room oh, so I see, it like yeah. throws him into relief oh and like I see, yeah. there's like a lot of um good little sort of melodramatic uh, melodramatic moments where like he's put in these different situations and you just know how he's going to react because you've it's kind of established how much of a prick he is so that's kind of like sometimes you need a self-absorbed dick in certain situations they're quite heroic yeah most of the times they're a dick yeah yeah that's what's kind of good about the movie it kind of shows them all these different plays a whole range you know it doesn't become boring and uh yeah sounds good and also the dialogue is really terrific there's a suspicion when people have like characters as writers it's just so they can deliver some like unbelievably witty lines all the time but they do a good job of having believably uh just very eloquent people it's full of like great one-liners sounds good it's uh playing at curzone and the ica and it's also on itunes to rent um so if your girlfriend's got an itunes account and you know her login details you can just like rent movies all the time wow that sounds good um, by the way, Katie, if you're wondering about your huge iTunes bill, it's because I've been watching a lot of films. Yeah. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at. Right, that's enough. Now back to film chat. So. I went to see an art house movie as well. You know me, I like uh, car chases, I like guns. What are you doing, Sam? Yeah, I wanted to, uh, if Fast and Furious 8 was out, I would have gone to see that instead, but they're still making it. But instead, I went to see Clouds of Sils Maria because Mamax wasn't showing at the cinema where I was. I was in Birmingham, had some time to kill. It's a very nice cinema there called the Electric Cinema, which I recommend to anyone going to Birmingham. It's right next <laughs> to the train station, it's very convenient. Um, I didn't really know much about this movie. Um, but it really was the only one that was at a time that was convenient for me and Juliette Binoche was in it and I like her so I was like great I'll go see this Remy Binoche I watched it Um, I enjoyed it why did you enjoy it Sam? (laughs) what's what's it about? okay so Juliette Binoche is in a role which the director um, Olivier Assayas I believe it he wrote it especially for her and she's a successful middle-aged actress rather like Juliette Binoche who returns to the play that made her famous and she decamps to this villa in the Alps with her assistant, played by Kristen Stewart, to rehearse it and prepare for her role. And basically the kind of twist is that this time she's playing the vulnerable older woman um, rather than the sexy, ambitious ingenue who um, has a relationship with her. Right. And obviously this kind of confronts her with her 
age and makes her reevaluate her life and, and that sort of thing. So the performances are really brilliant. I mean, they're the, they're the thing that pretty much carries the movie through, especially Juliette Binoche. I mean, you wouldn't think that necessarily having Juliette Binoche play a middle-aged actress would require her to turn in a, a Stanley performance, given that that's what she is. <laughs> I'm sure that that helps contribute to her being a very fully rounded and realised seeming character, but it's really great. I mean, if she is actually like her character in the movie and you're basically just hanging out with how Juliette Binoche is, then I'm perfectly happy with that because... Um, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. She just seems like a person, you know, not someone you can really sum up in a kind of they're like this, you know, they are the grumpy drunk or, or anything like that. Yeah. You know, she's grouchy sometimes and cheerful at other times, but uh, it doesn't complex, seem... Huh? Yeah, complex, <laughs> complex. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a snippy reviewer's well, way uh, to explain her character. Well, that's indicative of the quality of the writing. Indicative of the quality of the writing, Absolutely. Um, and surprisingly, maybe, she has really excellent chemistry with Kristen Stewart. Case Stewart? Case Stewart and Jay Bins are a great team. <laughs> Kristen Stewart's obviously mostly known for moping about and uh, making doe eyes at Robert Pattinson in oh, the perhaps. Twilight movies. And uh, But she's done some other more interesting stuff. Well, she was just in Still Alice, which apparently she's very good. Right, exactly. Maybe her thing is now is I've got to find like an old seasoned actress to be in a movie off. with them yeah. to soak in the uh, the years of experience. Yeah, but no, she's very good. And um, I think that it's like her role could very easily be a bad... I could easily imagine the bad Kristen Stewart performance version of that character. She plays her assistant and she is kind of the young foil to the older, slightly out-of-touch woman in a way that is believable more than it is annoying Juliette Binoche is not at all she doesn't know anything about um, the latest gossip or what films are out or you know she's kind of a middle aged she's like a sort of out of touch yeah. mom give know? me some LPs everyone's using iTunes Mrs. Binoche yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it, 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 iTunes exactly I said bring me my eat of BF 45 <laughs> I assume that's what she listens to right she's super old she's super old super old she loves France yeah um yeah, so it's you can you can imagine how the sort of shit version of that relationship would go, and also Kristen Stewart as a uh, teen who loves gossip and everything. Like you can imagine that being annoying as well, but um, it's much better done at that. She's a very competent assistant, and they have this cool relationship. They're almost like they come across almost like an old couple. Um, who argue and then make up. Yeah. I didn't really understand. She seems like the most dedicated assistant in the world because she moves in with her into this place in, in <laughs> the Alps and like they're just together all the time. It's not completely clear. Like, I hope she's getting paid a lot of overtime because you know she's more like her girlfriend than her assistant, really. But maybe that's the point because the play is about a relationship between two women. I got meta. Yeah. Although it's all quite well done, there is a bit of a danger that the way the play reflects her own life is a little bit too too obvious sure i think as a device to make someone question themselves having them uh you know it's just there's nothing very particularly subtle about it and there are some very obvious parallels between the play and the action um in the movie that is a bit like it's kind of not testing you you know what sure, i mean yeah. um and uh yeah like something will happen in the play and then it happens in real life and it's like ooh. Uh, so is the the nuance of the characterization not matched in the yeah the in the plotting. symbolism of the, <laughs> of the plotting exactly yeah like they're just having them hang out and talk to each other about things in general was more interesting and it sometimes maybe has a little bit too much of them just talking about the characters in the play they're always going on about this play which isn't real so you can't go and look it up <laughs> afterwards 
and they're always discussing Helena and Sigrid, the two main characters, and arguing over is Sigrid strong or is she just mean or is Helena weak or is she just, uh, you know, um, vulnerable and interesting and blah, blah, blah. And it can get a little bit like being at a dinner party with some people who are a little bit too arty and sure. um, and involved. Yeah, like it's all it's all perfectly well done, but it does like you know there's a lot of Woody Allen scenes like that, sure, um, sure, where it's all a bit like intellectualized and airy in a way that like do people actually talk like that? Sure, and are they annoying <laughs> when they do? Yes, there is a bit like one of there's like a um, a bit of a clunky note in it when they go to see a superhero film. So the third main lead in the movie is Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, that's a real tongue twister name. Chloe Grace Moretz. Chloe Grace Moretz is the third main lead in the movie. She is a kind of troubled drug adult starlet in and out of rehab. She's a crazy, yeah, crazy younger, successful Hollywood actress who is being cast in the play with Juliette Binoche. And Kristen Stewart and Binoche go to see um, the uh, superhero film that she has just started when she's just come out. And there's a scene where you kind of see it. And it looks a little bit like the um, film that Julie Roberts is in in Notting Hill. Uh, in which she's in that sci-fi film and there's yeah. a little bit of a sort of parody of a superhero movie but it seems like it's written by someone who doesn't really he's never really seen one well does it come across as like a sort of grumpy old French director be like stupid superhero movie yeah it kind of does um, and it's interesting because first of all it looks way too cheap and shit and it looks like it was like the art direction of it looks like it could have been made in about 1980 you know it's like Flash Gordon or something it's like that is not how a modern blockbuster looks <laughs> And uh, it doesn't ring at all true. And it's really clunky because the rest of the movie is very naturalistic. Sure. And then afterwards, Julia Binoche and Kristen Stewart hang out and have a pint and they discuss it. And it suddenly turns into Birdman or something where they're kind of <laughs> arguing over the creative worth of um, superhero films. And Kristen Stewart is saying that they illuminate the same things about the human condition. There's your so-called artier films and everything sure um and uh, she's trying to tell julia binoche <laughs> about superpowers and the villain zargon and everything like that and binoche just like laughing hysterically at how ridiculous it is um but that that kind of conversation was kind of fun and you know had both points of view put in an um articulate way but you've just seen this bit from the movie which seems like the director has definitely made his mind <laughs> up on that question um but uh yeah chloe moretz is very very good and her part is a little bit underwritten. I think that whole section of the movie is obviously something that the director is less comfortable writing about than he is about, you know, the um, older theatre actress and her um, sure. Alpine villa. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was, like, amazing. Um, and I don't know if it's saying anything particularly um, astounding, but uh, but it, it carries you all the way through sure. to the credits. I liked it. This is a performance well make it. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're a, if you're a Julia Binoche fan, I would I highly recommend it because she is superb. If you're a Julia Binoche fan, you should definitely check it out. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardot. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So keen followers of the Film Chat Facebook page will have noticed a video that one. I didn't even know who it was. That was me. A video that Danny put on of James Cameron um, telling us all how great the new Terminator film is. He's just come out of the cinema. I guess he's been sat down, and they just told him to say whatever he thought about it, good or bad, and they were going to put that on the internet. And fortunately, everything he said was really nice. Well, the thing is, he was obviously the creator of the Terminator franchise, but he lost the rights. 
So he's only responsible for the, for the first two, and he's made he's publicly said how he didn't like the third one and the fourth slash prequel one. So it's a bit of a coup for the producers to win him over. Oh right, yeah. Um, so he's complained about the third and the fourth. In yeah. The past. Well, in the in the little segment, he's like, I consider this the third Terminator movie. Oh yeah, that movie, certainly suggests that's brushing over yeah. the other entries. Um, but as I don't know, as why are you shilling for this other company? Yeah, it, I don't know. It just it, there's <laughs> something kind of funny about it. And it. The way he tries to sell the movie comes across as sort of lame. He's like, it's all about the twists. Having this, yeah, and then he just gives away the twist. I mean, what's what's in it for him? He's like the richest man in the world, right? He's he made the two. Well, maybe that's a, maybe that's movies. a sign of how genuine his endorsement is. It's true. I think we should hear a little bit of uh, Cameron talking about it. I had no idea what to expect sitting down. I wasn't involved in the making of the film. I didn't direct it. I didn't write it. I'm just a fanboy. So I'm in a dark theater. Movie starts. The machine sent a Terminator back to the time before the war to kill my mother, Sarah Connor. And I start to see things I recognize. It's being very respectful of the first two films. Nice night for a walk. Eh? Sounds very sincere. He's got a wonderful voice. Anyway, he is not the only director approached. Um, by whoever the people were that made Terminator Genesis. <laughs> and uh, James Cameron is the only one they've shown so far, but we have a sneak preview of one of the other directors who they showed the movie to. I had no idea what to expect sitting down. I, I wasn't involved in making the film, which I understood to be a, a sequel to Midnight in Paris called Terminal Genius. I didn't direct it, I didn't write it. I, I just sort of shuffled in there and no one threw me out. The machine sent a Terminator back to the time before the war to kill my mother, Sarah Connor. Okay, so this one is set before the war, but the filmmaker's grasp of the 1930s was tentative to say the least. Nice night for a walk, eh? Your clothes, give them to me, now. Most of the jokes weren't landing, but uh, I like the scene with the large, naked Austrian looking for clothes. I'd write something like that. I've been waiting for you. However, quickly I became totally lost. They've recast everyone. I, I thought I glimpsed Owen Wilson at one point, but it, it was just some straw on top of a pile of rope. Changed. You're telling me? I haven't been that confused since my psychiatrist vomited on the floor and said it was a Rorschach test. It is nice to meet you. I've been trying to teach him to blend in. I know it needs work. That was funny, but she should have growled in frustration and complained about needing Valium. What have they done to my son? It's a good question, I and mean, he's a robotic killing machine now. In my movie, he was just trying to get Gertrude Stein to read his book. Machine, not man. You're not a writer either by the looks of things. I mean, you've completely switched careers. I mean, did these guys even watch Midnight in Paris? And the old robot was obviously in love with a beautiful young woman, and yet he did nothing. He didn't even take her to an art gallery and make awkward, over-intellectualized comments about everything. I can't believe I missed the Knicks game for that. Anyway, I guess it was still better than Manhattan. 
So, friend of the show, Woody Allen there. Sounds like they didn't give him all the information he probably needed before they... He's an 80-year-old man. He's, he's a bit cruel. Yeah, he's very old, isn't he? Don't You wouldn't just put him in front of a film like that without telling him what it was about. I mean... The thing is, he makes so many films that he thinks all films are just his films. And he's really not aware of the others. If, yeah. Yeah, we should maybe give him a call unless it's becoming a little bit um, automatic to have Woody Allen's voice <laughs> on our podcast. Maybe next time we'll maybe give him a call about that. So... Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's been another wonderful, wonderful episode. <laughs> so, and to play us out is um, probably the biggest chart hit of Christopher Walken's tribute band to the Talking Heads. The Walken Heads. Here is the Walken Heads. seem to face up to the facts. I'm tense and nervous and I can't relax. I can't sleep cause my bed's on fire. Don't touch me, I'm a real live wire. Psycho killer, casca say, fa 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 Better run, 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 run away. Ay. Oh! 